One of, uh, one of the things that we've noticed in Ecclesiastes is that the writer of Ecclesiastes observes a lot of things and he actually observes a lot of things accurately. Where he tends to go wrong is in his conclusions. All right, so today what we actually want to look at is we want to look at the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes' uh, view of evil. How does he actually see it? And it's not, I guess it's not uh, just evil, it's uh, suffering as well, a suffering that kind of attends it. Uh, how does he view it? Is it close to our observation of it? And I want to suggest to you today that I think his view of evil is that he thinks evil is skittish. All right? Now, uh, skittish is a word that can be used to describe a horse. All right? A horse can be skittish if it's fearful and flighty. Uh, but people are also described as skittish as well. Um, people are skittish when they're unpredictable, fickle and flighty. Like uh, they could go anywhere or do anything. Like there's no rhyme or reason to it. And uh, here's the thing, today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes sees evil that way. And uh, just, you know, full disclosure, just a little bit of warning. I'm going to ask you to apply it at the end, okay? So we're going to have a throw in from you at the end about how you actually apply it. Now that's something that preachers need to do all the time. It's like, understand what the Bible says, um, be clear about it, and then think about what does it mean for today? Well, that's your job today. Is everyone cool with that? Your mission, should you choose to accept it? Some of you are going, I'm not accepting it. I didn't come to church with that kind of deal. But here's the thing, that's what you need to do, all right? So hopefully my job will be to teach it well, and then you can, um, you can actually bring some application at the end. All right, here's uh, four points that I want to cover, uh, which is based on uh, the passages in, in Ecclesiastes on evil. Evil is random. Evil is a wrecker. Evil is personal. And evil harnessed let's get into it evil is random we're going to do a bit of reading today uh, and i've cut some stuff out i've gone through the whole of ecclesiastes and looked at all the times that the writer talks about evil and and just thought about that and worked on that and researched that so i'm just going to give you kind of picking the eyes out of it a bit so just come with me ecclesiastes 9 verse 1 to 3 but all this i laid to heart examining it all how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of god whether it is love or hate man does not know both are before him it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Now, I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. What's the event that he's talking about? Anyone know? So you all remember my message from like three weeks ago, don't you? Okay, I'm, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> Who said it? A couple of people said it. Death, right? Here's the thing. What's, what's he saying here? At one level, what he's actually saying here is, listen, the evil in the universe is that there's a randomness to the universe. It's like you can be really good and you'll die. You can be really bad and you'll die. It's like it's just random. Like it's completely kind of random. The same thing happens to both people. It's like... At the start here, just straight off the bat, what's he saying? What am I saying? I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is actually saying this. He's saying there's a lack of moral logic in the universe. You see that? It's like it doesn't make sense. Why is the same thing happening to a good person as to an evil person? Let's go to the next one. Ecclesiastes 7, 15 to 18 and verse 20. In my vain life, does anyone ever say, anyone, has anyone here ever used the word vain? couple of people anyone talk about their vain life that's right you're probably in counseling uh in my in my vain life that's if you do in my vain life i've seen everything there is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing you hear that he's going this is random it doesn't make sense be not overly listen to his recommendation be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise why should you destroy yourself be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and, that, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In the day of prosperity be joyful, in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. What's he saying? He's going, if you actually work really hard to be wise, you could actually just die and it could all just end. So there's no point in just being too wise. Don't be an idiot either because that might kill you, all right? 
Uh, that's, that's the big idea about being an idiot, right? So if you're a fool, stop being a fool because you usually die young if you're a fool or uh, are maimed of, in some way, all right? He sees good people suffering and evil people thriving, all right? He's just going, well, let's just be a little bit careful about being too wise because that actually might hurt you. What is he saying? He's actually saying because of the randomness that appears to exist out there, be pragmatic. I mean, I think that's probably one of the main arguments in the whole book of Ecclesiastes is be pragmatic. Some of you go, what's pragmatism? Whatever works. Just do whatever works. Now, in a closed system where God doesn't exist, uh, you better believe that pragmatism is the most sensible thing to do. It just is. All right? And our world, uh, the world that doesn't know Jesus, if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, pragmatism just makes the most sense. And that's what everyone in our world's doing. I mean, that's ultimately, I, I did, uh, in uh, my Masters of Education, did a subject on philosophy of education. You better believe that that's where education is gone. Education has gone to pragmatism, all right? We've just got to do the things we need to do to make life work the way that we want it to work because there's a randomness that exists out there. So let's not be too wise and not be too much of a fool. Uh, we'll get caught out. Ecclesiastes 3, 16 to 17 Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, where would the place of justice be in our society? Courts of law, all right? I think that's what he's talking about. Moreover, I saw uh, under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. You see that? He's just kind of going, look, there's wickedness, there's evil there, and it's kind of random. Like the one place you would expect there to be some kind of consistency, it's random. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. See, there's an injustice in the world, isn't there? Uh, there's a sense in which he's looking out and he's going, I can't really see any justice anywhere. The one place you would expect to see it, it's not actually happening. Who knows that that actually happens in courts in the world that justice doesn't happen, all right? It's true, right? And there's lots of reasons why justice doesn't happen, there's lots of reasons why there's evil right in the place where there ought to be good. He's kind of right, is it? Everyone with me? He's, I think his assessment of evil is pretty right. And it's, it's pretty, pretty random. Um, I want to show you just a quick clip. Back in 2007, uh, this is one, I mean, there's probably millions of examples. This is one example. This clip goes for about 20 seconds. In 2007, a bridge in Minneapolis just dropped. And nine people got killed, all right? Like it literally just collapsed for no rhyme or reason. It wasn't an earthquake or anything. It just fell down and people died. And I think it was about 20 people injured. Here we go. There were other, others that did not fare as well. Nine people killed, according to the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And there are still 20 missing. Uh, and unfortunately, the fears are that they also may have um, not made it. They've said this is a recovery effort this morning because they do not believe that anyone that was still in the river overnight uh, survived. You know, there's a question. Cool, so I might have been wrong there. I don't know the tally of how many people died. So nine uh, died there and 20 people missing um, by the time uh, that news report was put out. Okay, what, what is that? Completely random, isn't it? Completely random. Now, I wonder whether you've ever struggled with the lack of moral logic in the universe. Have you? Have you ever struggled with the randomness of evil? Have you ever asked questions like this? Why did that have to happen to them? Why were they treated unfairly? That kid doesn't deserve it. Why do bad people get it so good? You see, those questions and so many other questions are questions... And, and just queries and just going, what the heck is with this randomness that seems to happen in our world? And I want to suggest to you today that the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes kind of, he makes some good connections there that the, the randomness that exists in the world is actually a result of human sin. Listen to this beautiful uh, verse. That's so descriptive, I think, in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3. He says, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And listen to this and madness is in their hearts while they live. All right? So madness, kind of like insanity. It's like you want to actually find out where insanity comes from? Well, it's actually connected to sin. It's connected to evil. And after that, they go to the dead. 
You see, evil is madness, and evil creates madness. Now, we believe really strongly here in the project that God is the one who makes madmen and mad women sane. But I just want to stop for a little bit here, and I want to look at another scripture from Romans 1 here in, the, in a minute, all right? Just to get a handle on this whole concept of madness and the insanity and the randomness of evil. And I want, this is like a, I think this is way profound, all right? And it's not because I came up with it. I think the Bible just describes something that's really profound. And most of you probably sit there today and you'll go, yeah, that's nice. That's a nice idea. But I think this is really, really profound, this thing that the Bible unpacks here, all right? Here we go. This is Romans 1, 24 to 25. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. Listen to this. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Here's the thing. We actually believe that the Bible is really clear about the fact that everyone in this room worships all the time. You always love something serve something, sacrifice for something, live for something, hope in something, go to something to save you. You're always doing that with something all the time, all right? There's no second of the day where you're not doing that because that's the way that God's actually created you. Now, what Paul's actually talking about here in Romans 1, 24 and 25 is these people that worship all the time have actually embraced an idol, all right? And the idol specifically there is not actually directly called an idol, it's called a, a lie. You see that? Embracing something that's not God is the embracing of a lie. Do you get that? So when you actually embrace something during the week and you love something more than you love God, you've embraced a lie. Now, listen to this. Lies fracture reality. You hear that? That's what a lie does. A lie fractures reality. A lie, by definition, is a fault line in reality. You see, when someone lies to you and you believe them and then you find out the truth, it's random, isn't it? And that's part of why you're so kind of offended by someone lying at you. It's just kind of like, I went with that on you. You know, you kind of said that that's how it was and I, I kind of went with that. And then two days down the track, I find out that's not true. And all of a sudden my head spins, right? Because something random has happened. But what actually happened in the first place was someone actually uh, laid a fault line in reality by lying. Do you see that? Is everyone with me? That's kind of what lies do. And, And you know, when you find out the truth, you're going, now I don't know what to believe. I mean, there's a bunch of you that have said that to people. Maybe a bunch of you said it to your kids when they've lied to you. I don't even know what to believe now. You've just lied to me before and now it's like reality is disordered. You you with me? You see, here's the thing. If you embrace something to be your saviour that's not Jesus, you're actually introducing a fault line into reality. You're fracturing reality by doing that. You're fracturing your reality. If you uh, worship something that's not God, you're bringing a fault line into your reality. Now, here's the thing. Once you've embraced something that's a lie, what are the chances you're going to embrace more lies? They're pretty high, right? (laughs) Pretty high. It's like if you believe a lie and you think a lie is true, and you've been deceived by a lie, it's going to be easy for you to believe other lies. Isn't it? Is everyone with me? And so you're just embracing more and more things that fracture reality. You see, something that is rational is something that is based on reason or logic. That's what a rational thing is, right? A lie is not rational. A lie is irrational. And here's the thing. Humanity has brought this irrationality into the world, this randomness into the world. And you know what? The bottom line is that the randomness that humanity has brought into the world by turning against God and worshipping themselves or worshipping idols doesn't just stop with humans. It's extended right to creation, hasn't it? And we're living in a world where there's randomness because there's this disordering of reality. Now, I'm going to give you some more on that in a minute. But do you, 
you get my point at this point in time all right there's a, there's a real sense here in which the randomness that we see has come because humanity has embraced the line it's fractured reality number two evil is a wrecker ecclesiastes 10 now there's an overlap between the randomness of evil and evil as a wrecker but we're just going to push just with a little bit of distinction into uh, evil as a wrecker there is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. What's he saying? He's seen the wrong people get in leadership positions. <laughs> you see that? And what do they do? I just wreck stuff. They wreck the order. Erect the moral order. You get the wrong person in a leadership position, and what happens? The princes are walking on, you know, on the ground, and the slaves are on the horse. It's like it just messes things up, you know. You get the wrong people in the wrong place. It's just going to mess things up, and that's another part of what he kind of says about sin: is that sin wrecks things. It wrecks good things. You put a fool in a ruling position, they're going to wreck things. It'll wreck the order of society. Let's go on. Here's another one where he talks about. Um, good things being wrecked. Uh, Ecclesiastes 6, 1 to 6, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions and honour so that he lacks none of all that he desires, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. Do you hear that? He's going, dude can have a lot of cash, a lot of stuff. Kind of sounds like the West to me a little bit. All right, we have a lot of stuff and then it's like, are you happy? Are you satisfied? Do you enjoy them? And most people are going to go, no, nah, I just want more. I just want more. This is what he's saying. Then he goes, this is vanity. It is a grievous evil. And listen to how bad that he thinks this whole notion of having something good but not being able to enjoy it is. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say, listen to this, that a stillborn child was better off than he. You guys are you're just pretty calm there, right? You just, it's kind of like it was a horse race. The guy who had stuff didn't enjoy it, stillborn child, stillborn child took it by a nose. You know? And I'm not in any way kind of making light of how brutal a stillborn child is, but you see what he's actually saying. He's actually saying um, that this is a, a major, major problem. What's the problem? The problem is that there are good things and good things are being wrecked. And it's kind of like the, the randomness of the, of the moral order, but good things are actually uh, being wrecked here. There's a lack of enjoyment. You know, and it's, it's like he's saying, it's more common to have gifts and good things and not be able to enjoy them than to have the gifts and be able to enjoy them. And this inability for one to enjoy riches, to enjoy what they have, is a sickening evil. Ecclesiastes 2.21, what about this? Sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Do you see that? Something good's happened. Someone's worked something up. They've worked up wisdom and knowledge and skill and they just leave it. I mean, I often joke about, it's kind of half a joke, half serious. Like by the time you get to be a good parent, you're not really doing that much parenting anymore. You know, and then by the time you actually get really wise and kind of smart, I think, and useful, it's a bit pessimistic, you kind of die. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just, I mean, I look back, you know, the last, you know, I look back probably 15 years ago and just go, yeah, it's really useful. Not. Sondergeld was. All right? It's just like, yeah, okay, that guy, he really didn't know what he was doing about most of the time. All right? And you just learn. You learn, you grow, you, you learn from other people. They speak into your life. You, you get wise. You learn from, from mistakes and errors. And then, uh, and then it all kind of ends. Someone else benefits from it. Now, this notion of um, doing good or getting good and, and losing it uh, in Ecclesiastes, I mean, it just sounds like the GFC to me. Uh, that's not the KFC, that's a GFC, the Global Financial Crisis, all right, 2007. All these people have built up all this money, they didn't get to enjoy it, they lost it, and pff, gone, you know. And he's going, that is a big evil. 
Ecclesiastes 5, 13 to 17. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. GFC. And he is a father to a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he came, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. What's he saying? He's saying there's something really good that someone accumulated and it's gone. It got wrecked. It got taken away from them. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 to 4, we looked at this before. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after that they go to the dead. Now death, is not death the ultimate in destruction of good? What good is there in a closed system? What good is there that any human being knows on the face of this planet that is not destroyed by death. Like it's evident. It's relationships, it's life, it's love. I mean, if you love possessions, but you leave all those behind. It's the ultimate wrecker of any residual good. It takes everything out. Every other wreckage of good things is weak in compared to what death actually does. Check this uh, opening report out from uh, a 60-minute story a little while ago. Is not a bad person, just someone who made a very stupid, tragic mistake. Her foolish decision cost a life, and she's paying for it dearly. Off her head on drugs, Lynette got behind the wheel of a car and ploughed into a cyclist. A family man whose life couldn't have been more different to hers. See that? That that is I think that is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is talking about. Now she's on drugs, right? What's the what's the dude doing? Well he's a family man and he's riding his bike. And random evil takes him out. And random evil results in the destruction of everything. In his life, in a closed system, everything that is good at that moment. Now, for those of you who, uh, who are Christians and know your Bible today, there's a sense in which theologically this is not a massive surprise. If we go back to uh, Genesis 3, you've got Adam and Eve uh, worship something else other than God. They worship themselves. They want to become God. They turn away from God. And a whole bunch of curses... Uh, are kind of given by God to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. To Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and uh, gentlemen, don't quote that out of context, all right? He's getting punished for listening to his wife, okay? And I've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you, you return to the ground for out of it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return you see you know what this is this is futility this is God saying every time you try to do something good evil's going to come along and wreck it you know you might get a bit of a run but ultimately something's just going to come in at some point in time just going to mess it up all right maybe it's too strong to say every time but you get what I'm saying right Evil's just there and it's just, you plant something, it's going to be weeds, all right? I remember, uh, I, uh, I think I've shared this story before, but I'll, I'll share it again. I remember uh, just, you know, I'm a, just a, a passion fruit nut. I love eating passion fruit, all right? So I was just going, I'm going to plant a passion fruit vine in my backyard in my first house that I had built, the first one I owned. It's there on top of the retainer wall. I'm just, this, I am tending to this thing, right? I'm speaking tenderly to it. I'm watering it. You know, I'm looking after it. I've got the trellis there. It's all kind of happening. But I also have a border collie, all right, with ADD. And in the middle of the night, there's no one to play with except the passion fruit vine, all right? So what's he do? I don't know. Get up in the morning, my passion fruit vine is just absolutely trashed, all right? Ripped it, ripped it to shreds. There's a stalk out of the ground about that big. Can't see any leaves, all right? You know what that is? It's a crazy border collie. <laughs> 
but it's also futility, isn't it? So you can tender something, you can work on something, and something's just going to come along and kind of wreck it. Now, you know, if we had a bit of a conversation, I reckon we could find some stuff in your life where you just go, I just, I looked after it and it just got trashed, you know. I, I spent a lot of money on it and it just got trashed. It's like futility just, just comes in and, and cracks into it. I remember uh, shortly after I bought a brand new car, the first, the only brand new car I've ever owned in my life, uh, went up to the coast and someone busted the aerial off it and, and scraped a, uh, the, either the aerial or a corn or something right the way along the side of it and then inscribed the, uh, the band corn in the bonnet of it. So people used to call it the corn car. And some of my friends who thought it was funny to call it the porn car called it that as well, which I didn't appreciate. But um, it was the corn car, right? And so you got this brand new car. It's shiny. I'm looking after it. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm washing it. I've, I bought chamois, like really good chamois, because I want it to look nice. And I park it on the side of the street, and some people come along and just trash it. That's that's kind of futility in action. And some of us and maybe most of us, um, let's be honest, we, we probably just groan a little bit under it sometimes. Is any, anyone with me? So, so when it happens, you just go, why? Why, you know, can I not have two, two good years of, of good health? Can I not just have 12 months of good health? Why does, every time I just start getting on top of something, something comes back and kind of knocks me down. And here's what I want to say to you. It's, it's like, it's, I think it's okay to groan under evil and to groan under futility. You know, and I'd encourage you today. I mean, it's one thing to kind of... Australians don't like whinges, right? Is that true? You don't really like whinges, okay? But the, th- the truth is that sometimes life gets pretty tough, right? And futility really stings sometimes. It's like I work really hard for that. And that whole thing's messed up. And I put lots of effort into it. And I had great hopes for what was going to happen. Futility came along and kind of stole it from me. And I I just want to say to you this morning, it's okay to groan. It's okay to groan. And and many of you groan inwardly. And some of you groan because of your physicality. I'll tell you, my my knees groan (laughs) in the morning, okay? I don't have the best knees in the world. And I'm not talking about the appearance of them. I'm just talking about the functionality of them. Uh, I probably don't have the best looking knees in the world either, but uh, whatever that is. What, what's a good looking knee anyway? I don't even know. Maybe Is anyone here a knee model? There's got to be someone. Someone's a knee model. My, uh, my knees groan, right? Sometimes my kids kind of say to me, Dad, is, you know, do, do your knees crack? And I'm just, yes, they crack, all right? Like a bunch of twigs burning uh, when I get up in the morning. And here's, here's the thing. We groan with, uh, under, the, under futility because we're awaiting redemption. That's, that's what Romans 8 says. Who, who here's into that? It's kind of go, yeah, who here's looking forward to a world where you just go, yep, yep. I want a world where everything gets squared up and everything gets fixed up. Well, we're not there yet. So uh, we're going to go on. Um, we're going to have a look here at Romans 8, verse 20 to 23, which speaks exactly about that. For the creation was subjected, see this, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies that's going to be a good day isn't it i mean the good news about romans 8 is god's saying listen there's going to be a day where this is all going to get squared up the futility is going to get taken out the groaning is going to get taken out i mean you get into the old testament the uh the the prophecies about what's going to happen in the future what's going to happen well a lion and a lamb are going to lie down next to each other why because the futility and the conflict and the randomness and irrationality that exists in nature as a result of our sin is going to get taken away. It's going to be resolved. There's going to be shalom. There's going to be peace. Last thing, uh, comment about what I think the writer of Ecclesiastes thinks about evil is that I think he's quite clear that evil is often uh, personal. It, it is something that happens to us, but it's also something that's personal. Uh, follow with me from Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1 to 3. 
Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. What's he saying? Humans hurt each other, don't they? Humans hurt each other. There's an, he looked in the world and he said, there is an oppression in the world of the powerless by the powerful. He knows that actually happens in our world. And he's, he's sad about it, you know. He's sad about seeing the tears of the oppressed people. You know, Ecclesiastes 8 verse 9, makes, he makes this comment, all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. Listen to this. Where man had power over man to his hurt. I just think that's a really uh, succinct, um, penetrating kind of observation of humanity, isn't it? And I, I mean, let's, let's be honest, the use of power to oppress powerless people doesn't just happen in third world countries where there's corrupt governments. It probably happens in your house, doesn't it? Because, I mean, I think that's what actually happens. When you sin against someone relationally, what have you done? You've taken a powerful position and you've, you've created a victim. This whole thing about grabbing power, there's this instinct within humanity, isn't there? It's like I want to grab power and I want to have power over other people. And when we do that, we hurt other people. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is sorry that people have to view these things. He actually says it'd be better to be dead than be oppressed. He also says, beware of sinners. Interesting, uh, good little proverb here. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. All right? It's not evils, random, you know, depersonalized evils coming into wrecking things. No, it's actually people that go out and they can wreck a whole bunch of good stuff. I'm uh, a bit of a fan of the despair.com website. Uh, it's filled with demotivators. Uh, you can buy calendars and all that sort of stuff. They've got a cup that's got a line on the side of it saying that this cup is permanently half empty. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's amusing. They've got this one called Idiocy, and uh, you won't be able to read down the bottom there, but it says, uh, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. <laughs> and some of you, that's true. Y- you know, they can really make a mess of it, and I think that's kind of what... Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes is kind of hitting on there in uh, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 18. Um, the truth is, folks, isn't it, that we're all responsible for some of the evil that exists in the world. None of us can stand to the side and claim to be innocent and claim to be only be a victim. We are victims of evil in the world, but we're also perpetrators. And we've probably contributed more to the evil in the world than what we know. So let's, at this point, jump out of the closed system. Yeah? Anyone want to do that? I want to do that. Uh, you guys are going to go home and, and have a very quiet afternoon if we can't get somewhere outside of this closed system. Can evil be harnessed? How is it harnessed? Well, I want to read a section uh, about, uh, and it's where Peter, the disciple Peter, is preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and I just want you to notice a couple of things about this section here so just if you can read along with me that'd be great Uh, Jesus of Nazareth he says he's talking to Jews I think a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus listen to this delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God okay and killed by the hands of, what's the next word? Lawless men. Okay? Here's what I want you to notice in this passage. All right? The plan of God was to have Jesus betrayed and crucified. All right? That's been the plan of the universe. All right? But at the same time that that was the plan of the universe, lawless people, lawless evil, was doing its dastardly work. And they were both happening at the same time. How's that work? <laughs> it just does. Like you would expect, if you're kind of going, okay, if it's God's plan, then they're not being lawless. 
But Peter's going, no, they're being lawless. Evil is actually at work. But what's actually happening right in the midst of evil at work is God has snuck up to evil and snuck a harness on it. (laughs) All right? And evil is going to do what he wants it to do. Now, it's not his evil. God never creates evil. Never. But he'll make it do his bidding. Do you get that? And like, let's just pull up for a minute here and look at this evil that's being talked about here. Like, what are we talking about? Well, we're just talking about killing God. (laughs) Just. Like, that's probably number one on the evil list. Is everyone with me? Like, if you kill God, it's not like, I was rude to my mum yesterday and they, nah, that's going above it. I'm sorry. All right? Killing God's like number one. All right? But they didn't just kill him. They said he was guilty. They said he was, he was a sinner and he was doing the wrong thing. Like, and he was betrayed. Do, do you get what I mean? There was just a whole bunch of things going on here. And it's like God's going, no, that was kind of the plan. But he wasn't doing it. He wasn't creating the evil. But he just snuck in and slipped a harness over it. And it was doing exactly... Uh, what he wanted it to do it was actually ending up in the place where he wanted it to end up he was condemned by the church you see you see this kind of thing the whole way through the bible some of you know the story of of joseph in the old testament joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers they told the dad that he was killed by a wild animal he was falsely accused of dealing inappropriately with potiphar's wife he was jailed for something he didn't do and his fellow inmates forgot him. When they got to get it, go out and he wanted them to give him, put in a good word for him, it's like they forgot about him. He ended up getting in charge of the food supplies during an extended famine. And his brothers come up to him, thinking that he's, don't really know where he is, probably thinking he's dead or, don't know, he's a slave somewhere because they sold him. And he ends up telling them that he's Joseph. And they freak out. Because I think now he's in power, he's going to get us. What does Joseph actually say? He says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And it doesn't just happen once when Joseph kind of says that kind of thing. He doesn't use the exact same words, but he kind of says that kind of thing at the, at the first time that they find out that it's actually Joseph. And then Joseph's dad dies. He, Joseph brings a family to Egypt and then his dad dies and the brothers go, now we're gone. You know, it's like dad was like our, our lucky charm. You know, he was the one that was keeping things good between Joseph and, our, and us. Now that he's gone, we're going to be, we're going to be, we're Gornskis, you know. But what does he do? He says, you intended it for evil, God intended it for good. See, this is what God does with evil. And we can see this in Romans 8, verse 28 to, uh, to 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This verse is true. You get that? Now, unfortunately, some of you have probably been beaten up with this verse, all right? It's like you're going through something, like you're in the groan bit, right? Whether it be a physical or an inward groan, it's like, I'm really groaning here and someone's come up to you and said, all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you're just going, thanks, that didn't help at all, all right? It's just really, really unhelpful. Now let me, I just want to stop for a minute here. The problem with the way that many people use this verse is not its content, but the way it is actually used, all right? This, the content of this verse is unspeakably rich, isn't it? It is unspeakably rich, the content in this verse. But I'll tell you this, when people use it, how do they use it? They use it like, if I just give you this verse, you'll be fine tomorrow. You know, take two Panadol and give me a call in the morning and let me know how you're going, all right? The problem's not with the content, it's with the way that people use it and it's almost like you say it to someone it's like you shouldn't groan now stop groaning it's just like i'm sorry but romans 8's telling me that people groan people groan under suffering and they groan under evil and they groan under futility and that's one of the things that's going to happen but where's the hope coming from in the middle of it well this verse isn't it 
Doesn't this sum it up? It's like in the middle of evil, the only hope is that God's sovereign over it and he's going to harness that sucker and make that horse go where he wants it to go. True? I'm going to show you a clip of the guy who inspired the movie The Horse Whisperer. All right? He's a real-life cowboy. There you go. Renowned horseman Buck Branneman is on the Clues Ranch in San Diego, about to work with a troubled mare. The one fellow, last time he caught her, he got kicked, almost broke his leg. So, and she's just bothered. She's not, it's not personal. All right. He enters the ring with only a rope. As I move around the corral, we'll sort of get a feel for each other. That feel for horses is legendary. His gift inspired The Horse Whisperer, the best-selling novel that became a Robert Redford film. The movie was fictionalized, but now Brenneman's own story is being told in a documentary. Everything you do with a horse, it's a dance. The film shows his ability to understand a horse and its fears. His insight was hard won. It came out of a traumatic boyhood. My dad had a violent temper. He was a terrifying person. Buck says he was nearly broken by a father who subjected him and his brother to brutal beatings. You take viewers through this personal journey that you had as a child, one that was, was very difficult. Well, having grown up through some pretty dark things in my life, you end up with a with an empathy for the horses. Empathy will be needed today if he's to reach this horse. It's in their nature when they're troubled to escape. His approach is gentle. There's no attempt to break the animal. Gradually, trust develops. There she kind of worked her mouth a little bit and she said, I think that might work. Before long, a breakthrough. There, now she's starting to kind of look me up a little bit here. The whole process from this to this has taken Buck less than 15 minutes. When you see this horse that was so afraid when you walked in and she can't leave your side right now. You never get tired of seeing that. You know, I mean, I think of the thousands and thousands <laughs> that I've worked with, but it's, you, never, you never get tired of that. Kareen Winter, CNN, San Diego, California. God is the evil whisperer, isn't he? He can just get it to go wherever he wants it to go. You see, the Acts 2 passage you just read before there is like the greatest evil in the universe that has ever happened or will ever happen actually brought about the greatest good. You notice that? It's like it was the darkest day in the whole of human history. In the history of creation, there's not been and will never be a day that's darker than the day that Jesus was crucified. But it actually purchased some of the most, it purchased the most amazing good, did it not? And it's because of that, that you can be confident that God is going to be an evil whisperer. He's going to harness evil. He's going to harness suffering in your life. You see, remember I started this morning, I said, the writer of Ecclesiastes looks at evil and sees it as being random. Well, I want to say to you this morning that it, evil may seem random to you, but God weaves it into a plan. Do you see that? He takes evil and he makes it something that's part of his plan. It's not random anymore. It has a design part in his plan. Remember I said to you a little bit earlier that, that, um, that the writer of Ecclesiastes saw evil as a wrecker. Well, what's Romans 8.28 saying? It's saying that every single thing that is a wrecker Everything that happens, God is going to use for your good. What's he doing? He's turning things that are, by definition, a wrecker into something that's good. And you look at personal evil, you know, we looked at the fact that people are personally evil. Well, what's God done? He's actually come, he's died on the cross so that we can turn and become a new creation. And what does a new creation do? Good. Good. That's what a new creation does. They do good because they've got a new heart. And not only that, but we become a contributor of good to the world, don't we? We become people who are out there to extend God's kingdom because God's kingdom is about shalom, it's about peace. So we engage with evil in hope. <laughs> not only God's going to push it back, but anything that's there is actually going to use for a good purpose for those that love him. All right. 
That's the end of me. Are you guys ready? I've got some questions to get you started. And then I'll, uh, if we can have like a bunch of people throw in, it'll be great. Hopefully I haven't, is it, there's no one, I use a horsing terminology, I haven't spooked anyone, have I? Because you know what we have to think about. We have, what we have to think about now with application is, um, is maybe something that you're going through right now. It's, it's maybe something that is going to happen to you tomorrow. It's like you're just going to get in tomorrow and maybe something's just going to get wrecked tomorrow. Some good things are going to get wrecked. So what am, I, what am I wanting to do here? I'm just wanting us all to think a little bit collectively, like how do we actually practically apply these kind of realities in those kind of situations? So here's three questions uh, just to get us started. How does this change the way you view trouble? How does this change the way you walk through trouble? What do you do in the middle of evil and suffering? All right, who's brave? You don't have to answer those. Those are just really to get you going. How are you going to apply what I've been talking about today? Anyone got a thought? rich man that's really rich so what do you what i'm hearing there is i'm hearing you saying something like this you're saying um i should never ever think that god doesn't get what this is like <laughs> do you know what i mean it's like because that, that happens sometimes doesn't it you know it's like it can be something on your case and something really tough and it's like oh he doesn't know what it's like you know he's just sitting there I almost showed you a clip of a couple of atheist guys doing a skit about how God just lives in his pristine, pristine environment and just deals stuff out to people, you know. But you're never doing that with that. It's like, yeah, he's, he's been on the dust. He's been in the dust, you know. Yeah, that's, that's really rich, you know. So in, in prayer, you're just, you're just kind of going, well, I, I need to talk to God about this because he gets it. He gets me. In fact, he gets you better than anyone else gets you. So if you're going to groan, groan to Jesus. So one of the things, that, as you were talking there, that it made me think of what you shared there is just the question about hope. Like, who here struggles to go into situations that are like of suffering and kind of evil and actually be optimistic? <laughs> anyway, because it kind of grinds you down, right? Like, one of the things about suffering, I think, and evil is it looks, it's a bit like what you're saying, it looks sovereign. Like, when you're in pain, pain just have a, has a way of just kind of deleting the hard drive you know, in terms of what you know to be true about God and his control. And, and it's like hope goes with it. When the hard drive gets deleted, in a sense, a spiritual hard drive, hope kind of goes with it a bit, you know. And the importance of what you're saying there is just that re- returning regularly in the middle of that kind of stuff and just being renewed and refreshed about the truthfulness and the reality of God's operation in the middle of it, you know, even in the midst of your own life. I reckon, I reckon that's gold. And that, again, I think that's the importance of community too. You know, because I, I don't think you're going to do evil and suffering very well on your own. I think you need other people alongside of you just kind of speaking into you and giving you that truth because it can be very blinding. That's good. Keep going, yep. Yeah. Yeah. because that's uh i mean that's i mean let's be honest that's a lot of psalms are like that aren't they it's kind of hope and groaning 
kind of going together. And I think that's why the Psalms can be so helpful. Um, you know, and, and just putting those two things together in your head, is they're not mutually exclusive, you know. And that's the, I mean, we talk about this a little bit in redemption groups, but that, I think, is the power of a good lament, you know. I mean, there's a lot of times in the Psalms where, where the psalmist kind of says, uh, I'm pouring out my complaint to God, you know. And the thing about that is, yeah, there's a complaint, there's a groaning, but the fact that it's going to God, who's the overseer, <laughs> The the, uh, the noble, benevolent overseer of the universe kind of embeds hope in there alongside the, the groan. No, that's good. Someone else? You guys are doing well. You guys should have preached. <coughs> I think it's um, really important um, when community comes together to help somebody who's got trouble that you actually help them get some Yeah. Even though they've been knocked down left and right all the time, it continues. If you continue to help, just with little, little ways of yeah. 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 I think that's really important. Absolutely. I reckon that's great. I mean, what's Jesus doing on the cross? He's pushing evil back and he's bringing about wholeness and shalom. So, why would he not want us to be joining him with it, in him with joining with him in that? You know, like that, that's what redemption is, right? It's like God squaring things up. Well, let's just get it to the way it's meant to be. So, and that's a really practical expression of it, you know. It's like, let's just, let's push it back. Let's help someone else. Let's help our neighbor push back the, the suffering and the struggle and the evil, you know, and be part of God's plan in doing that. It's good. Someone else? That's good. That's that's probably been my last twenty four hours. You know. I think, you know, I've joked in church here before about how realists are really pessimists. All right. A lot of the time, not all the time, but and I'll, I'll, I've called myself a realist most of my life. So that and that might be true. There might be a sense in which you like the rod of Ecclesiastes where you're just kinda of going, Yeah, it's just stuff's gonna happen. Like you could go in tomorrow and just kinda of go, Yeah, something's gonna get wrecked. That's a pretty pretty sure bet that one right we'll put 100 grand on that one <laughs> not that you bet but you know what i'm saying <laughs> you put money on that you just kind of go let's let's put money on that one something's going to get wrecked tomorrow all right so that the challenge i reckon you know is not to be locked up by that reality but to be uh defined by the gospel about what the good that god's going to do in the midst of whatever happens tomorrow you know which is that's kind of what i'm hearing this idea I mean, who knows, this, this world needs a bunch of people who follow Jesus who are fearless. Yeah. 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 that's really hard you know i think you're right it's like if you see someone using power to get what they want and what they're getting what and and the want that they have is is evil there is a tendency it's like i want to get some power to get what i want <laughs> and you might end up at a good end point but the way that you get there is kind of similar similar to what they're doing you know so i reckon you're right you know there's just a real wisdom you know and I, I, I think there are times where obviously an exertion of power is appropriate you know obviously we've got prisons 
that, that's kind of what prisons do. It's like you're doing evil stuff. We're going to throw you in jail because you're not stopping, you know, and you've done something and you've really hurt someone. Um, but it, it is that tricky thing kind of at a heart level. It's like when am I kind of acting similar to the, the bad person, you know, because that, 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 that instinct, that desire can often be there. One more and then we'll finish. You guys have done great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of that with uh, in the Gospel of John, isn't there, where John kind of says uh, eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. So the, the sense there is, oh, you know Jesus? It's, it started, <laughs> eternally started uh, here on the planet. And it's true, I mean, you know, maybe we just have a quick show of hands. Who here just knows that when you, you get into a tight situation and things not rolling the way that you want it to roll, you're in, your kind of default setting is... I've just got to work out, even if you don't do anything, but in your head you're going, I've just got to work out how to fix this. He does that. So, that, so that's, I think that's kind of what Wayne's talking about there. So all right, let's just pull up right, and not try to fix it straight off the bat. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing you saying. Let's go to the hope and just go, okay, God's the brains. He, he's the evil whisperer. You know? He can harness this thing and make it go where he wants it to go. You know? So we, we, let's start there. And then maybe he might give us some stuff that we've got to work out, you know. But let's not start with working stuff out. Sorry, Lisa, you want to just throw in? Yeah, sure. It's actually pretty similar. I was just going to say that um, I think we need to be better at uh, talking about our suffering and being willing to sit with each other in it rather than going, oh, someone's struggling with something, quick, patch it up, patch it up, make it look yeah. good. Um, but actually sit with it and acknowledge and lament um, yeah. together yeah. Um, rather than just trying to patch. Yeah. Because you know what's really critical about that? I mean, this, this kind of, just like you know, on a secret here, but this is kind of one of the things that happens in redemption groups when we do redemption groups is that if, if you don't actually just have a, just an honest look at the pain that you've got in your life, you can't see, you won't be able to see God being alongside you in that. And a lot of us don't actually sit and look at it long enough. And then if we do, you know, we could have an experience like Job's friends, <laughs> you know, who are just going, right, let's just fix this up. You're a sinner. If you just repent, say sorry for your sin, everything will be all right. And it's just like, we just want to fix it up. And I think it says in Job, they sat with him for a week and didn't say anything. And I'm just going, man, if a guy's lost all his kids and everything and his wife told him to curse God and die, a week's probably not long enough to sit quietly with someone, <laughs> you know. And I almost talked about Job a little bit today, but that's, you know, I, I think that's really important. And, and it's tough, though. That's really hard to do um, when you've got someone who's really suffering just to be with them, you know. I mean, they, they talk about that a lot in counselling stuff because counsellors are just going, oh, I've got some pain in, and we just want to get in and fix it. And it's going, oh, maybe they just need someone for a while, at least anyway, just pull up, just be with them. Maybe I shouldn't even say just. And pull up and be with them because it, it's it's a lot more than adjusting because I'm sure there's a whole bunch of you have just gone you can think about people in your life when you've been in pain who have done that you know and it means the world and maybe I, I'll just finish on this note isn't a beautiful thing about God that he knows everything and he didn't need to become a human and walk with us in an imperfect world for 33 years like isn't that isn't that amazing that he actually did that he actually became a human and walked with us for 33 years and when he says to you i know what it's like he doesn't just know what it's like 
in his knowledge, in his, omnipot- sorry, his, his omnip- omniscience. He knows what it's like in his experience. Uh, amazing. Incredible. And uh, I mean, just one more thing. You, you, when did Jesus' ministry start? Does anyone know how old he was? He was about 30, right? So you're just thinking about that. You're just going, well, well, what's he doing for the other 30 years? Well, he's hanging out with sinners <laughs> and he's getting annoyed by flies and he's having to take a bath or a shower or something. Do you get what I'm saying? What's he doing? He's doing exactly that. He's, just, he's with them. He's seeing the sorrows of them. He's with them. When does he start talking? About 30. You know, and maybe, that, maybe there's something in that too. 